And so I want to begin by reminding you of something you already know. I want to remind you that God is in control of everything. That God is sovereign. And sovereignty means that God controls. There's this, there's this battle, I think, in, with theologians about the, the things we find, the events and the challenges we find ourselves in. Whether it's God's permissive will or whether it's God's directive will. And there's volumes written on it and there's all kinds of discussions and sometimes even debates about it. And I want to tell you, gang, I'm not smart enough to know all of that. I'll tell you what I do believe. I believe that anything that comes upon Tom Williams, God directed it. Now, you, if it makes you feel better to say God permitted it, go for it. All I know is that if I'm going to navigate life, if I'm going to handle some of the chat, even a, a, a van gets broken into and losing backpacks. If I'm going to handle that or the major things that come into my life, I'm going to have to know that there's got to be someone in control Someone in charge of all of that, and that person who is in charge of all of that is God. And my theology is that God directed it for something ultimately that brings his glory and something that brings me good. God's sovereign. And as God's sovereignty plays itself out, his providence is the working out of his sovereign control in my life. Everything that comes to me is through God's providence because God is sovereign. Now, there may be times when I'm cheering, praise God, you know. There may be times when I'm crying, oh, God. But in all of that, it is the providence of God working out his sovereign selections, his sovereign decisions in my life. Now, several weeks ago, I, I mentioned to you something that I want to go back to for a second, okay? I mentioned to you that there's a difference for believers now. There's a difference in our standing and our state. Our standing is how God looks at us. And when God looks at us, He sees us as righteous through His Son, Jesus Christ. Our, our state is changing, but our standing is complete. It's positional. God sees us through the blood of his son. But now our state changes. While one is perfect through God's eyes, the other is imperfect. And it's changing. And it is God bringing things or bringing people or bringing events or bringing challenges into our lives to make us more in line with him, understand him better, and also to prepare us for eternity that's coming. Now, let me tell you what complicates it a little bit. The first thing that complicates it is we may not like what God is doing. We may not understand what God is doing. And there may be a little bit of a fog there because now we see through our eyes, the Bible says, eyes dimly. So we may not be able to grab hold of all of that. That's, that's challenging, isn't it? A second thing that's challenging is that not only is God working himself out in our lives and through our lives, but God is working out this world. 
God's dealing not only in my life, but God's dealing in the world, bringing the world to an ultimate judgment. And you throw all of that into the mix, and sometimes, gang, it's confusing. Oftentimes, gang, it's challenging. So the question comes to us, well, is there help for me in this swirling confusion? And the answer is yes. Well, how do I do that? It's a matter for believers. It's a matter of exercising your will and choosing right. That's what I want to deal with for a few moments. Would you stand in honor of God's word? Philippians chapter 4. And I want to read verses 10 through 13. And then I'll tell you kind of where I'm headed, okay? Philippians 4 verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now, here's where it gets real. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. And most people here say, amen. I know how to get a how to live in prosperity, and probably mostly, I hadn't figured that out yet. In and in every circumstance, again, he says, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Then verse 13 is the summary. I can do all things through him. I wish they had translated it. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Father, help me. This is a great passage. God, I don't want to screw it up, so help me. Help me to convey what you have conveyed to me. And help me to communicate, God, the fruit of the study of it in in a quiet moment so that I can proclaim it to my people today in a way that will resonate, maybe clarify, maybe correct, maybe challenge but also, God, encourage our faith family today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, gang, thanks. Be seated. Keep your Bible open, okay? Let me tell you, let me just remind you, Paul loved this church, and this church loved Paul. It was a church in poverty, had very little financial means, but it was a church that helped Paul early on as he was beginning his missionary journeys, and they always had the desire to help Paul more and more. And the word concerning that user lets them know that Paul understood that they were in his mind, that they cared deeply. It's been 10 years since Paul had last seen him, 10 years since they had gotten some help, and finally they were able to send something a little more tangible. And Paul says, oh, gang, you revived. If the word is for blossom, like a spring flower, you, you've, you've blossomed into my heart, your love. Now, gang, as we work through the verses, I want to give you three statements to consider. And then I want to give you a caution. Okay, There's a verse in our text that is used today, has been used for a long time, used by all of us, frankly, me as well, that if you don't understand it right, it'll lead to some confusion. So I want to give you three statements quickly. Then I want to give you a caution. 
so that we can understand what Paul is saying a little better to us, okay? Statement one, number one is this, that if God's power or God's strength is going to be there for us, then believers must choose to be content in crisis. Crisis comes. You're in one, you're coming out of one, or getting ready for one. Isn't that what they always say? Isn't that right? Well, I can't do anything about the crisis. It's been, if you allow me my theology to kick in, it's been directed by God, divinely directed by God to me. My only response is how am I going to handle that? So I have to choose to be content in the crisis. That's statement number one. Statement number two is, I've got to choose to be confident in the circumstance I find myself in because I believe God is in total control. And so I can't be confident in anybody else. I can't be confident in my ability. I can't be confident in any kind of agenda that I might dream up. I have to be confident in God. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Number three, we have to be, or we have to choose to be controlled in Christ. And that's where that verse is going to come in, verse 13, that I want to deal with and close out on. Okay, let me give you the key idea of the sermon. They always told me in seminary, uh, even if you preach 30 minutes or 40 minutes or 50 minutes, and one of them said, don't you ever preach 50 minutes, your folks will leave you. Uh, But they always said you had to be able to share your sermon in a sentence. Okay, so I want to do that. Now, here's the deal. When I do that, that's not the end of the sermon, so don't leave, okay? But here's the sermon in a sentence. You and I, believers in Christ. Now listen, let me back. If you're not a believer or if you're not sure you're a believer, you need to wrestle with the eternal question first, gang. But if you are a believer, if you understand your sin your rebellion against God, the condemnation that it brings. You understand that God gave His Son on the cross to die for your particular sin, and you have repented of that sin, and by faith you've embraced Christ. He's regenerated your heart. If you're a believer in Christ, then you and I must be patient. Here's the key. We must be patient in God's providence. As God works His will out in our life, And as God works His will out in this dying world, gang, patience is the key. And patience requires the three statements that I just gave to you. Look at verse 11 for just a moment. The first thing that's required is that we choose to be content. The word content that Paul uses here is actually a a word that, that was used in the secular world. This is the only time it's ever used in the Bible, by the way. Paul takes an idea from the secular world... And he brings it into the Bible and he applies it to the Christian. That word content is a word that speaks to a nation that never has to have any imports because everything they need, they're able to supply for themselves. They're self-sufficient. That's what the word means. They grow their own food. They, uh, They secure their own meat. They have no need of any other nation because they're self-sufficient. Paul takes that idea, he brings it into God's revelation, and he says it this way, it is not that we're self-sufficient, but we are to be Christ-sufficient. It's not that we're to be independent, but beloved, we're to be 
God-dependent. And when we choose to be content, when we choose to be God-dependent, then regardless of any circumstance that comes upon us, we know that God is behind it and we accept it and God helps us through it. That means that I'm not... I tell you what, it means that I'm not depending upon Indian Springs Baptist Church for Tom and Paula to make it. Now, don't misunderstand. God uses you. I'm thankful for that. And if it wasn't for you, I would probably have a few ripples in my life. But you don't own me. God does. Does that make sense? And it's the same for you. You don't need me. You need God. And when we understand that we're God-dependent and that God is the supplier and that God is the source and that God is the sufficiency, then we can handle just about anything that comes, even when our life and even when our world seems to be swirling out of control. Now, what does that require of us? Well, it requires our spiritual discipline, isn't it? It requires us to think right because we have to choose right. The book of Philippians is, I think, the most positive book in all of the Bible. When people come to see me and they say, well, I'm just discouraged, or man, I feel like I'm beat up, or I feel like I'm dry, I tell them to go to Philippians. There's not a book in the New Testament that's any better to encourage your spirit in the book of Philippians. But all the way through the book of Philippians, you know what we find? We find this idea of the mind, choosing what's right, getting your head around who God is and what God is doing. Let me give give you a sample. In chapter 2, Paul says, let this attitude or let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. That's a thinking term. In chapter 4, you remember when we looked at chapter 4, there's two ladies having a little bit of a problem, you know? Paul says, live in harmony. That means think the same things. Okay? Chapter 4, we looked at last week. Let your mind dwell on these good virtues. What is that? That's disciplining our mind so that when pressured circumstances and problems, we have, remember last week I said your default is verse 8 of chapter 4. You shift your thinking. And here, even in, in, in verse 10, he talked about concern. He talked about, they're in my mind, I'm in your mind, you see. And so if we're going to choose to be content, we've got to engage the mind to understand perhaps what God is doing. Now look at verse 11 for a moment. Notice what Paul did not say. Paul did not say that being content was a gift. Paul did not say, That when you are saved, all of a sudden contentedness gets dumped on you. That it's a gift of God. Salvation is a gift, but not the contented life. Paul says he learned to be content. He learned to be content. How do you learn to be content? Gang, I don't know of any other thing than you live it. You live it out. You do your best. And as you live it, you learn. You learn about God. You learn about yourself. The word learn is a word we get disciple from. It means that we begin to learn who I am. You learn who you are, and we learn who God is. There is no substitute for doing life. You got to live. 
And as believers, you live with God. So as you're living with God, you put your thinking cap on. That's what he's telling us. You have to choose to be content. Okay? Secondly, if you look at verse 12, we have to choose to be confident. Let me tell you, let's read verse 12 together, okay? I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering. Let me tell you what the idea of verse 12 is, okay? The idea of verse 12 is that Paul just did not float along the river of life. He says, I know because I learned. And he means by that, I paid attention. I saw God in every situation I was in, whether it's plenty or whether it's poverty. I was able to see God at work in my life through the circumstance. No matter, he says, the mountain or no matter the valley, God was there. God was in control. And so in God, I have confidence. Several weeks ago, I mentioned to you that that pressure was critical to our lives because pressure reveals hairline cracks in our character that would not be there unless we had them. Those cracks force us to acknowledge our inability and it forces us to acknowledge Christ's ability. And when you focus on Christ, your confidence grows. We spiritually discipline ourselves, and from that comes spiritual maturity. Theologians call that sanctification. We call it maturity. We call it growing. And it's not only do we understand that God can, we understand that God has. Because you see, God is sovereign, and God lives in the eternal present, and God never lives outside of time. And so when God sees us and sees our situation, he sees us in one moment of time. We call it the transcendence of God. You and I live by calendars. You and I live by clocks. And I know what some of you are going to do. If it starts getting close to 12, you're going to start doing like this. Why? We live by watches and clocks and calendars. God doesn't do that. The transcendence of God is that God is on his throne and looking down at Tom. He sees the moment Tom began, and he sees the moment Tom dies, stops. And gang, he doesn't see it in little sections. He sees it in one big picture. Everything about my life, God sees in the eternal present. Now, if I understand that he is transcendent, then I have to know that nothing takes him by surprise. So therefore, my confidence can be in him knowing things are happening that I may not like or fully understand. Now, the, the thing is this. Whether I have plenty or whether I have poverty, it really makes no difference because God's in it. And I don't know if that makes sense to you. I know what you're thinking. Well, I, if it doesn't make any difference, you're going to give me plenty. Well, I want to tell you, it, it doesn't work that way. See, it really makes no difference. Because if you're with God, your focus is on God, not on your abundance, not on your lack. It's on God. And God's in control of the abundance or the lack. Let me tell you a little story. Years ago, I, I was uh, pastoring 
And I got a call one evening from a guy, and he said, uh, I, I need your help. This is a guy that came to church uh, maybe at Christmas, you know. Uh, and that was about the only time I ever saw him. I didn't really know him that well, but he called the pastor. And he says, I have a family situation, and I, I need you to come. And I said, that's fine. He said, come at 6 or 7, I don't remember now. So I walked in, and we were at the table was the dad and a daughter. Across the table was a lawyer and then the preacher. My first thought was, oh, gee, this ain't good, you know. Well, let me tell you what happened. And some of you that are maybe struggling financially, I hope you connect to this because sometimes we think, well, if I just had money, I'd be okay. This whole family built our whole relationship on money. I'm talking, I'm talking money, okay? I mean, they didn't have to have this tithe the tithe thing, you know, if he'd have just given. Well, what he tried to do was he tried to skirt some tax issues and some law issues and all that kind of thing. So what he did is he transferred a lot of his money over to his daughter. Well, when the daughter got wind of it, guess what? Oh, yeah, happy hallelujah. She spent it. Oh, yeah. He got tipped. And they were having this huge family argument. And somehow they wanted the preacher and a lawyer to be there to try to somehow negotiate it out. The lawyer didn't say a word. Every time an hour went by, he just went cha-ching. There was another couple hundred bucks in his pocket. And here I was thinking, I, 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 I don't... I had never owned a house in my life. What am I doing trying to, you know? Well, in the course of this tension, I looked up and I saw the mama. And she was just weeping. So I got up and I walked over and I said, are you okay? She says, no, I'm not okay. She said, I've never been okay. This family has never been okay. This family has always built itself on money. And it's not worth it. Look what's happening. Now, I say that to say this to you. If you build your happiness on money, or if you build your uh, uh, happiness in something other than God, or if you're miserable because you don't have, then your focus is all wrong. You see, Paul is trying to tell us that our confidence has to be in God. And he said, I've learned, I didn't get it dumped on me, I had to experience this, that whether I'm on the mountain or whether I'm in the valley, it's okay because God's in control and I trust God. And beloved, with everything that's going on in your life and everything that's going on in this world and the swirling culture and all those kind of things, it will absolutely drive you nuts unless you know that God is in control of your life that you are a born-again believer, that he is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, the providence of God is working out all of the issues that you find yourself in. Let me, let me just get a little personal, and then I, I know we've got to move on, but let me, my, my son and his wife, as many, most of you know, are missionaries, and, and they're home, and we're going to get to see them this week. The biggest struggle that I had was... When, they, when he left and then got married and started producing grandkids, the biggest wrestle, I didn't care if I saw my kid again, but you know, these are grandkids, you know. My biggest struggle was, God, how can you take my family 
and pull them away where a grandpa and a grandma can't see their grandchildren maybe once a year at best or once every three years. And I have to tell you, gang, uh, we've never had a birthday with our granddaughter. That's how tough, how gut-wrenching sometimes it is for us. And the only way I was able to get my head on it is to think a little bit like Paul's talking about. God's in control of this. God designed this. And whether it's good or bad, God did it for something good. And you got to trust God and your confidence has to be in God. That's the only way it's going to work in your life because that's the only way it has worked in my life. And yeah, there's moments when I realize what we miss, I guess. But there's moments when I see God alive in my family. And God doing what only God can do. And I can either fight it or I can choose to be content. Or I can choose to place my confidence in God. And that's what Paul was talking about. Okay. Now, there's a third thing. We have to choose to be controlled in Christ. I want you to look at verse 13. And then I want you to look at verse 19 as well. Okay. He says in verse 13, this is the summary of this whole thing about needs and circumstance. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Verse 19, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. Okay, Let me just tell you something. This verse I've already mentioned to you, this verse has been abused by Christians an awful lot. I want you to know that it is abused today an awful lot. Now, I think all of us like that verse, so we like to run to that verse, and I have as well. But I have to tell you, I've come to realize this is not a catch-all. If we use this verse to, to, to claim most of the things in our lives, then when God doesn't come through, we find ourselves very, very disappointed. This verse, in the context in which Paul writes it, is a verse that deals with needs, not greeds. Paul is talking about material and physical needs. He's primarily talking about food or economic matters. This verse is not a panacea. For you to do anything you want to do and call God into arena, into the arena, Besides, God's power only works when it's in his will anyway, right? And it's doubtful that God is into most of the things that we want him to be into, okay? There's no blanket promise here. What Paul is saying is that I can do all things by God supplying everything I need at the moment I need it. Let me, let me give you a couple silly illustrations that maybe will play out, maybe help you understand the verse, okay? I asked Rich if I could pick on him because he's a friend of mine and he won't beat me up. He might, but I don't think so. Say that Rich decides that he wants to become a professional golfer. Okay? Some of you have seen him play, right? Okay. But say that somehow Rich decides that he's going to be a professional golfer. And Rich kind of checks up, and this is what he's got to do. So Rich goes, and he, he goes up to the PGA people, and he says, I want to become, I want my PGA card. And the guy says, what makes you think you 
qualify you. Rich says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many of you think Rich is going to get his PGA card? Huh? I mean, the first thing about Rich, I, yeah, Rich, the first thing I'd do is turn the clock back. You know, spring chicken. Terry, the second thing I would say is let Rich quit his job so he can go to the golf course and do nothing but hit golf balls all day long. Now, that might work. But I can tell you, claiming that verse isn't going to get him a PGA card, right? Do you guys remember uh, a golfer years go- on, gone by by the name of Hal Sutton? Anybody remember Hal Sutton? I didn't think. It's just the old gray hairs. No, okay. Let me tell you, Hal Sutton was a professional golfer, great professional golfer. He's from Shreveport. And he was growing up when I was in Shreveport, and his dad was in the oil business, and I had a few little dealings with his dad. And, and, uh, and I don't know if his dad was a Christian or not, but his dad used to hire guys in the summer, give them summer jobs. And the guys would show up at their yard, and they would punch in, and then one guy would be sent this way to this yard, or that one over that rig, or this one over some platform. And he would assign them responsibilities for eight hours, and they would punch out and go home. Well, he hired his son, Hal, and he told his boys, you punch in, and your summer job is to go to the golf course and hit golf balls for eight hours every day, and then you come back and you punch out like everybody else. Now, I don't know whether that daddy was a Christian or not, but I can tell you what that daddy knew. That daddy knew that if that boy was ever going to be a professional golfer, and he did and was a good one, that boy had to hit a lot of golf balls. That boy had to do life. And claiming a verse and saying, I'm going to be a professional golfer, is not anything what Paul says here. Let me give you another silly illustration. This will even be sillier. Say that you and I hear that America's Got Talent is coming through Little Rock tomorrow. And I say, you know what? I like to sing. You've heard me sing. I think I'm going to sign up and I'm going to audition for America's Got Talent. And so I go and I sign up. And they say, what makes you think you're worthy of this audition? And I say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. How many of you guys think that I'm going to make it through the audition? You've heard me, huh? Yeah, the blooper reel is about it. Why? Because that's not what Paul is saying in this verse. Paul's talking about needs. He's talking about focus. He's talking about who you're thinking about, who you're trusting in. And beloved, when your focus is on Christ and Christ alone, Paul says, I've learned that it doesn't, I've been up there and it doesn't make any difference. I've been down there and it doesn't make any difference. I have Christ and Christ is enough. And you've got to choose that. And I have to choose that. And I want to say to you, dear beloved Christian, you who have been cleansed pure through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you who have understood what Jesus did upon the cross when he shed his lifeblood so that you might be redeemed from your sin, I want to tell you, Christ is your sufficiency. And Christ is all you need. 
And only Christ can be who you need through the challenges of your personal life and as God shakes out of, shakes out this world to his logical conclusion. That's what these verses tell us. I can't handle circumstance, but I can handle how I respond. Let me, let me summarize it. Commitment, contentment is not like a lot of programs that come with your computer pre-installed. It's a learned virtue. It takes practice. It takes living. It takes thinking. It takes observing the work of God in your life. That's why it takes choosing to be content. That's why it takes choosing to be confident. That's why it takes choosing to be controlled in the Lord. And the closer our state gets to our standing the better we will navigate the challenges of life. You know, nature understands, I think, maybe seasons better than we do. You and I are about to finish up the summer. I mean, I know it seems like a long ways away, but one of these days, the, uh, the, the weather's going to begin to turn, and the hot season's going to give way to the cool season. The smell's going to be different. And, and pretty soon, you know what we're going to be again seeing? We're going to begin seeing leaves begin to shrivel up and then turn brown. And we're going to enjoy the fall colors. And then we're going to start raking our yard, right? What is that? Well, it's nature's way of preparing the trees to draw in for nourishment to survive the winter. Those of you that are deer hunters know the same thing. Deer and bucks, when they begin growing antlers, they're, they're in, in felt. And they're living their organisms, you know, organs. Then as the fall comes, what happens? The deer begin to pull in. And the felt is gone. And, the, and those horns become hard and brittle because there's no nutrition going there. They're drawing in. Nature knows the seasons. As believers in Jesus Christ, we need to be aware of the seasons as well. We need to know that regardless of the season, that we're going to trust God because God's the one in control of that. It may be a season of poverty. It may be a season of plenty. But if our focus is on Christ, it doesn't make any difference. He's our sufficiency in all things. And Paul's trying to help us understand that it's Christ in Christ only. Christ alone. Let me go back to something because I'm not sure I said it right earlier. Um, let me tell you what I've learned and, and let me tell you what my wife has learned. Okay? Maybe that's the best way because I said church. You know, I don't, I didn't make sure I said that right. My wife will tell you that I ultimately um, can't satisfy her. And I will tell you that she can't ultimately satisfy me, okay? I can tell you that I love what I do. I, I love, I love what I do. And I love the people I do it with. And I've been doing this a long time here. And I can't imagine doing anything other, anywhere else with anybody else than you guys. But I know that you can't 
meet my needs. And I know that ultimately I can't meet your needs. See? I know that if I were to, if I were to uh, get a million dollars, which wouldn't be a bad idea, that wouldn't meet my needs. And if I had lost everything, I know that it wouldn't make me cease to exist. Because you see, for a Christian, it has to be centered in Christ, in Christ alone. And so I want you to think about, for a moment, your life. Are you being waylaid by events and circumstances that you can't even control? Or are you centered on Christ, the one that designed it, and the one that will help you through it, for your good and His glory? You see, Christ, one of the blessed things about being a follower of Jesus is the sufficiency that is in Christ for every single moment and season of your life. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Let's pray together. Stu's going to come and we're going to take a moment of just a, we call it an invitation, a response, call it whatever you want. Those that will be baptized are going to slip out and get ready. I just want you to take a moment to maybe just evaluate where you're at in life. Okay? How are you? First of all, is Christ real? Is he? Are you walking with him? Father, I lift up these that are here today. God, I, I, I think that it's so easy for all of us to get beat up by circumstance and fail to see the God behind it. I think we forget that we have to choose. We have to make some choices in life. We have to choose, Lord, to be content and to be confident, to be controlled by you. Not reach for quick fixes and, and just grabbing anything, but be content to live with you because of who you are. And regardless of any wind that blows, we'll be stable because we're in you and you in us. Maybe today there's some just getting eat up, some getting beat up. Maybe they've just simply forgotten who you are. And so God, remind us right now in these quiet moments, remind us who you are. And God, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.